Hello, I'm Delia Delore and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking, the podcast where we dissect popular mottos, mantras and metaphors, trace their origins and discover how they translate to our everyday life. Each week we introduce a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. Today's guest is qualified hypnotherapist Chris Freer, founder of Upbeat Life and successful advocate of mindfulness. He really made me think about my life and about not just how metaphors have a role in my life, but how they made me see things much clearer. And you'll understand what I mean when you hear the interview. But how are you? How's it been the last couple of weeks? Have you been working hard, striving to achieve the things that you've always wanted to or just trying to pick up all the pieces so that you can get to the place that you want to be in. Did you manage to decipher what this week's metaphor might be? Well, here it is. It is don't suffer, thrive. Have you accepted a situation you found yourself in, whether the position is self-imposed or inflicted by others? It could be a new predicament which comes to a head or an old malaise where the status quo has become the norm. Perhaps you are dealing with a physical ailment or mental suffering or both. You may have had to cope with a past condition or live with a current one or perhaps face a predicted outcome. Any of these scenarios may place you in a position of suffering where just surviving becomes a success. A useful mantra to help you escape this perpetual loop and get help to push yourself forward is don't suffer, thrive. Life can have many obstacles from time to time. These can be very personal, like relationship issues, financial worries, medical problems, or work struggles. And although we suffer, we tolerate certain situations because we know we can put up with them and survive. Difficulties we endure may not be of our doing. Someone else may force them upon us, or they could just be a consequence of life. There are many thoughts and ideas about how to cope with life experiences, far too many to cover in this episode. Today's metaphor tells us to thrive, and to do this, we must acknowledge our problems and confront them so we don't suffer in silence. Atmosphere by the new wave band Joy Division is about confronting problems and not walking away or ignoring them. of our metaphor. Both deal with each element in different ways. However, their aim is to achieve the same goal. A coach works by suggesting a path through life which avoids hardship, guiding their clients away from potential suffering, whilst a therapist deals with the consequences of people's lives affected by suffering and helps them to cope. 
However, both professions strive to give their clients survival techniques to direct their paths through life away from suffering and towards thriving. In the science fiction film The Matrix, the Oracle program, the therapist, and Morpheus, the life coach, guide and help the main character, Neo, to choose the right path. Do you believe it now, Trinity? Morpheus. The Oracle. She told me She I'm... told you exactly what you needed to hear. That's all. Neo, sooner or later you're going to realize, just as I did, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking. Also in the film, alongside Morpheus, Neo has an inextricable link to Trinity, a third member of the trio. Using our own trinity of words formed from our metaphor, we can produce an easy mantra to move forward. I suffer with problems. I survive with problems. I thrive with problems. In suffering and surviving with life's problems, you put up with them. To work with them and to break free is the root of thriving. The rock group Queen's single, I Want to Break Free, is about breaking free from a complacent life, one often seen as suffering in silence or just surviving to keep the peace. I want to break free. confine the limits of suffering and surviving to our personal lives. The economy and business sectors deal with the same attributes daily and economists and entrepreneurs use a term very similar to don't suffer thrive to promote growth and financial success. Don't just survive thrive is a maxim of the business community. In a tough economic climate, to avoid going out of business, you'll need to make changes which may lead to some suffering but your enterprise will survive, which is the best and most important outcome in hard times. Blues musician John Lee Hooker confronts the struggle on his track, Hard Times. Don't you know hard times 
Can't you see hard times are here to stay? You know hard times, hard times seem like they're here to stay. Hard times, hard times. Got no shoes on my feet. You know my clothes are very thin. I got no shoes on my feet. You know my clothes on wear is very thin. But don't get a job pretty soon. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Trying to understand why, John Lee Hooker recalls his problems and tries to keep his head above water. By staying afloat in business, you keep in touch with equally successful competitors, but this can lead to complacency. Whereas some economists suggest focusing on innovation and maximizing your market, yet keeping costs under control to enable growth of your business so you can thrive while others just survive. Of course, helping individuals thrive in business can come in different ways, not just through growth. Other routes to achieve a return on your investment are keeping team members, a great point driven home by Michael Scott in the U.S. version of The Office. Hello. I want my old job back. I want my old parking space back. I want a Sebring. They don't make them anymore. And I want Charles gone. I'm not firing Charles. He's very valuable. That's very kind of you to say, David. I need him gone. No. Okay, then I want Pam back. Uh, you already have a new receptionist. I sales. Thank you. Pam's not a salesperson. Yes, she is. At the Michael Scott Paper Company, in its heyday. That's right. Okay. Please continue. And Ryan. Ryan cost Dunder Mifflin hundreds of thousands of dollars, Michael. You know Ryan, what? David, isn't... I don't care if Ryan murdered his entire family. He is like a son to me. Do you realize what you're asking for here? You're talking about salary plus health benefits. And dental this time. Insurance, taxes, social security for three people. This is a heck of a lot more than 60 grand. You're talking about a multi-million dollar buyout. These are our demands. Your company cannot be worth that much. Our company is worth nothing. That's the difference between you and I. Business isn't about money to me, David. If tomorrow my company goes under, I will just start another paper company, and then another, and another, and another. I have no shortage of company names. Michael. That's one of them. Yes. These are our demands. This is what we want. Our balls are in your court. Okay. Deal. The medical profession also uses a similar metaphor to our economic version and adds another step. Don't just survive, thrive and be alive. 
This is in relation to pediatrics and a term called FTT, or failure to thrive, which is related to development and growth in children and infants. They cite the expression, when a developing child cannot achieve the expected weight and height according to standard growth charts. This may be a sign that a child is not receiving the expected number of calories or they cannot control the calories given to them. The rarest form of FFT, termed organic, develops with an acute or underlying medical issue related to the intake and digestion of milk. Most cases, however, are non-organic, which covers the milk intake itself. An inadequate supply of breast milk could be the cause or inappropriate or irregular quality of formula milk. Medical staff usually recognize these failures to thrive through regular checks and comparisons, and they easily rectify symptoms with manageable changes to combat any long-term issues. Recognition of a child's suffering allows for the redress and rebalance of their natural surviving techniques, making it possible for them to thrive. Balance is the key, and Depeche Mode tells us how important it is in their single, Get the Balance Right. of life's challenges, we place ourselves in the best position to succeed, whether medics helping a tiny baby or the board controlling a huge blue chip company. This is also true of individuals and to help us thrive, we need to help our mental health. We often associate acts of kindness as an enabler to move from suffering and surviving to thriving. Whilst a single act itself may not promote an individual to success, Involvement in the act provides stimulus to the brain with the release of serotonin. According to psychiatrists, serotonin plays a large part in regulating our mood as it reduces feelings of depression and anxiety which are associated with struggling and suffering. When rewarded with a boost of serotonin, following an act of kindness, we feel elated and these sensations of joy and happiness increase our general mood and we thrive. Even watching an act of generosity releases the same chemicals, so the goodness we show affects not only those receiving the gift, but other observers too. Neuroscientist Christine Race discusses the importance and benefits of kindness in her TED Talk, Generation Success. Kindness shifts us from surviving to thriving. Studies show that engaging in one act of kindness a day for just 10 days can measurably increase your happiness, and witnessing an act of kindness is almost as effective as engaging in the acts them, them yourself, as this releases serotonin in our brain and can lead to what neuroscientists call a peak experience, those rare moments of inspiration that leave us grateful to be alive. These moments don't have to be over the top. You can hold the door for someone, let somebody who appears rushed go ahead of you in line, or write a kind note to a friend or a coworker in need. The key is to bring mindful attention to these simple acts. 
I wanted to find a way to cultivate kindness in my own family, so we play a game called Rosebud Thorn. It's a simple game that can be played at the dinner table on a car ride or before going to bed, and it reinforces each of the practices that I've talked about today. Each person takes a turn describing their rose, a good experience they had today, their thorn, a mistake they learned from today, and their bud, an act of kindness that they witnessed or initiated. This simple game that takes about five minutes never ceases to shift my family from surviving to thriving. Here's what's weird. There was a time in my life when I would seek out stressful situations. I took a job one summer in college working for a bungee jumping company. I had the esteemed job of testing the ropes. Every morning, before any customers jumped, I would fling myself out of a basket 350 feet above the earth and hope that my college buddies had secured the lines. I think I got paid $8 an hour for this prestigious position. Today, I don't have to pursue extreme sports to find stress. Modern living is an extreme sport. The thought of my inbox on Monday mornings gets my heart racing. And the locker chandeliers, those put me over the edge. <laughs> my point to you here is this. We are surrounded by big and little stressors, and they aren't going away. But we don't have to embark on major life transformations to change our lives. If there's one thing I hope you remember from this talk today, it is this. It is the simple practices that lead to the most significant and sustainable changes. My life is still crazy, but in the last 10 years that I've been teaching and practicing mindfulness, I've learned a few things. I savor sunsets, blooming flowers, and those moments when my kids take my hand in theirs. I look for growth in difficult times, even if I have to cry into a pillow first. And I take advantage of opportunities for kindness. It's these simple practices that shift my survival brain to my thriving brain and leave me feeling pretty damn grateful for my hectic, overwhelming, and imperfect life. Thank you. With these mindfulness acts freshly in our minds, it's time to move on to our guest and mindfulness coach, Chris Freer. Today, we're glad to be talking to qualified hypnotherapist, Chris Freer. Diagnosed with multiple sclerosis 20 years ago, Chris has fought back using mindfulness, exceeding medical expectations, and now helps others to flourish through his company, Upbeat Life. Thank you so much for being on Metaphorically Speaking, Chris. I have to say that most of the time when I talk to guests, we don't talk about our metaphor right at the beginning. We, we just talk and then we get to the metaphor. But with your chosen metaphor, I just felt that to put everything into context with what you're about to say, let's just go with this first, because I think that our listeners will understand more clearer why this metaphor is an important one for you. 
So let's talk about don't suffer, thrive. What does that mean to you? Oh, Delia, 20 years ago, and it is almost 20 years ago, I got diagnosed with a condition called multiple cirrhosis. That came to me after several years of going to see my doctor and being told that all of the symptoms that I was experiencing were all stress-related. And and at the time, I mean, I was in quite a stressful industry. I was in the licensed trade and I had several pubs and clubs on the go. You know, I was reasonably successful at it. But when I received that message, if you like, that diagnosis, that label, that label comes attached to many, 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 many negative messages. You know, progression, disability, wheelchair bound, bed bound, early death, all stuff like that. And in all honesty, I I listened to that and I took that on board completely, you know, that that this was an incurable condition. There was nothing that could could be done, but the hope for me was disease-modifying drugs, which were available to me as someone who was classified as relapsing remitting. And I, I signed up for all of that, and I just found that I got worse. I was descending into real profound disability very quickly to such a point that six years after my diagnosis, I had a, a serious but incomplete attempt to end my life. And that, and that started a massive change for me because the thing that saved me that day was compassion. It wasn't compassion for me. It was compassion for the lorry driver who wills front wheels I, I intended to launch myself under and I hesitated because I, I had this thought of what this act I was about to do what effect it was going to have on him and I hesitated and I bounced off the side of his vehicle you know thankfully you know thankfully I was hurt but I was alive and, and that was good and it started this thought process for me I thought why was I so compassionate about him but I've never had any compassion for myself you know, I've got four amazing children and I hadn't even spared one thought for them and what it was going to do to them. And I suppose in a way, I, I spent the rest of my life trying to make up for that, I suppose. Yeah, really. But when I started to look at, at the messages that were around the condition that I had and, and other conditions, they always come with this negativity. There's never any hope. There's never any good messages. There's never, it, it's always destructive really and one of the things that I get very upset about and this is why I chose my metaphor in the media and that's you know newspapers radio whenever there's any news or they're talking about people with a whole host of chronic conditions like multiple sclerosis they always prefix it with people suffering weak yeah and I can absolutely tell you today and every day I am not suffering with this condition. I am thriving with it. I am controlling it. I am living with it. And, you know, I'm, I'm affected by it. And I would love the media to use that terminology, affected by it or living with, because it's a neutral message, isn't it? It's a neutral message that suggests that you have some control. Does that explain to you? Yes. And so nice seeing you. So full of life despite everything that you have, you know, gone through. And that change, I suppose, just gets stronger and stronger. And I suppose you also have a tiny campaign to look at in terms of showing the media that the use of positive language would be beneficial, not just to people suffering with multiple cirrhosis, but, you know, their families. That brings me to ask you about Upbeat Life. How did Upbeat Life begin? 
Okay, so after well, when life changed for me, really, and it, and it did change in a positive way for me, after I tried, and, and I, it's not something I'm recommending at all, but, you know, after I had that incomplete attempt, things did start to change for me. Um, recently divorced, which was bad. But a new lady came into my life about 2010, which I kind of thought, hang on a minute, you know, why would anyone want to love me, you know? But she did, and in a way, I... I didn't try and get rid of her, but she was she was staying for the long haul, and then you know we've remarried, and I can't tell you how happy I am now, you know. Mm-hmm. And and her name was Joy. Oh. I often say Joy came into my life. I know I mean yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, Joy, you know. But uh, yes. yeah, so I was looking for something that I could do that was proactive and productive for people living with disabilities. Yeah, mm-hmm. an upbeat life sort of hatched in my head and I started to support individuals living with a disability really as a support worker and and as I grew and I I could I couldn't personally cope with the amount of work that was being offered to me I had to start a company so Upbeat Life CIC was born and we we support people living with a physical or learning disability to be as independent as they possibly can in their life. But also, I mean, it's grown for me. And now I'm approaching the age of 63. So I think I'm entitled to drive towards my passion. And my, my passion is to present the opportunity for change and control as many people as I possibly can that are facing this epidemic of chronic conditions that are plaguing modern life now because I realized and I and I understood that I did not catch multiple cirrhosis you know I can't give it to anybody else and you don't catch it like you catch the flu or chicken pox or anything like that. You may be genetically predisposed to certain conditions, but fundamentally, it made sense to me that, that I'd created the conditions within my body to this explosion, this perfect storm within, within me that I often describe as dis-ease which is if you don't deal with disease, you will, you're likely to go on to create disease within your body. I understand. And it's like trying to put people within a positive mindset. Is, is that what you're trying to describe in a way? Yeah, I mean, we fun, fundamentally, our beliefs have a huge power over us. You know, and in the words of Henry Ford, it's probably not exactly word for word, but if you believe you can or you believe you can't do something, you are probably right. And that's the mantra that I adopt a lot of the time. My message that I'm giving out here is I'm, I'm not encouraging anybody to not follow the, the advice of their health professional. Absolutely not. That They must always follow the advice of their health professional. But I want people to have an open a conversation with their health professional about alternatives that they can do, how they can change their lifestyle choices to create a better environment and a more healthy environment within their body. Yes. It doesn't have to all be pharmaceutical. Yes. And I think a lot of us as well, sometimes we feel as if we can't tell the doctor how we really feel. Mm. And uh, some of it is not just about we can't speak. 
some of it is because we're afraid that we're going to be labeled with some form of depression. I, I believe a lot of people think if I say that they're going to say that I'm depressed, they're going to put on my rec records that I'm depressed and it might go against me for other reasons, you know, life reasons, especially, you know, if you're, you know, you've got, you know, you're a single parent or you're struggling or, you know, people feel that there may be repercussions. And I think people also feel that you have to stick with one doctor. You can have a second opinion. You can go to another doctor and say, this is what this doctor has said, or don't, don't even say that. Just say what my symptoms are and see what they come up with. And, and as you say, have an open conversation. I know that I have read many times that doctors say that a lot of their patients come into their surgeries with their own self-diagnosis and it's it, it doesn't do them any you know any favors but I know when I go to see my doctor I have done my research as to what I think perhaps we you know we should be looking at this path and if they don't suggest it I'll say well what do you think of so and so and sometimes I've pushed the matter I've pushed it and found out one or two things about me so yeah I, I get where you're coming from but you know, from what you're saying, how would you encourage someone to get that strength, honesty, to tell somebody else how they're feeling and how to deal with their symptoms or how to thrive with how they're feeling? I think, well, I mean, I, I am a professional coach, if you like, but I always I always start with people to, to actually look at their beliefs, you know, your deep-rooted self-limiting beliefs, you know. And and also I would ask people to, to ask themselves the question of what choices am I making in what I consume, in how I think, how I exercise, how I move, you know, all things like that. And actually how I feel about myself, this is something that I, I find in in lots of people that I I work with, is they have absolutely no love for themselves. Often people don't even like themselves. And love, in my opinion, is the most powerful. It's the, it's the most powerful force that, that human beings possess. Love for self is not selfish. You know, to be the best that you can be benefits all the people that you love. Definitely. So, as a hypnotherapist. NLP practitioner and CBT and mindfulness coach. What have you discovered about the health and emotional impact the COVID-19 pandemic has on society? Oh God. Wow. Wow. That's wow. That's a big, big question. I'm going to try and answer that in a small way, really. I think that mm -hmm. the messages that, that have been given out through the media, through our governments, through or every portal, you know, every message portal has all been, again, it's been negative, it's been scaremongering, it's been frightening. And the simple fact of the matter for human beings is that when we get scared, we turn on our sympathetic nervous system. And our sympathetic nervous system, sometimes called the fight, flight or freeze system, is only designed to get us away from danger quickly, really. And it's only meant to be switched on for short periods of time. Now, when the sympathetic nervous system is switched on for long periods of time, it has the effect of lowering your immune system. Living in that state of fear for long periods of time is leaving you open 
to attack like more you know you're allowing more bacteria into your body that your auto your immune system can't deal with so you're becoming open to to more illness really and and I've seen that so much in so many people that the amount of anxiety that I've worked with recently, you know, people are even frightened to go outside their front door, which I find it so sad. I really do find it so sad. Yeah, me too. So, Chris, is there anything that we haven't touched on that is important to you, a message that you'd like to give our listeners? Well, I think I'll come back to my my metaphor, really. Well, it's it's a strong message, and, and it is don't suffer, thrive. And if you are in a situation or facing something that, that is quite tough, look at the ways that you can take control. Look at what you can do for yourself to change outcomes, how you perceive things. And like I say, don't suffer, thrive. Thank you, Chris. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, people can contact me through my website, which is www.upbeatlife.co.uk. There is a, if you want to talk to me personally, there is a booking system on there. So you can, you can click and, and, and I will be happy, really happy to speak to anybody that is struggling. So, yes, you can get, get to me from www.upbeatlife.co.uk. Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And you really have put into context for me a different way of looking at the metaphor, don't suffer, thrive. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Chris Freer for coming on today's show and sharing his thoughts and understanding of our chosen metaphor. Let us continue on our journey of discovery by further dissecting Don't Suffer, Thrive. Our metaphor applies to the sporting world too, as any successful sportswoman and man will attest injuries curtail the chance for improvement. When an athlete loses momentum through injury, they can't strive forward, which causes body stress through physical and mental suffering. Overcoming the effects of an injury is necessary in order to thrive and compete with other athletes. And this particularly applies to athletes with severe injuries or disabilities. Sometimes additional suffering comes from discrimination and compounds physical and mental stresses, especially those coping with recent disability and younger people. As a young person with a disability, it can be quite hard to find opportunities to get into sport. Are there any tips? If you really want to get involved in an activity, if you want to be part of a, a sports team, I think you shouldn't be shy. Just get in there, mm. just get stuck in. Find a sports hall, find a local club, go online, phone up the place mm -hmm. and make sure that the place is accessible. But also, you have to be proactive. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you call people up and the moment you tell them you have some sort of disability, then they suddenly get scared and they're like, oh no, we can't do this. But if you're there and you say, well, I can try this, let's try this together, you know, then I think it opens more doors. With some of the physical challenges, that can be a drawback for some young people. They might think that they can't get involved in something. What it boils down to, actually, is not what you look like, you know, not 
about your, whether you have a disability or any of that. It's about how passionate you are about what you do. The first and foremost reason why I love sport and I got involved in sport is because it gave me confidence and it, and it made me independent. I knew if I was fit, I knew if I was strong, mm. then I didn't need to rely on anybody to help me. Do you think confidence is the key then? It, there's confidence, there's, it helps you set goals, yeah. it helps you organise your life, it also, health-wise, it yeah. helps you meet people, helps you communicate. I was gateway. probably, I was one of the most rubbish communicators when I was younger, believe it or I not. I find that hard. And I was like, oh, you know. The really beautiful thing that I think about sport is every day you have an opportunity to be better. And that's what I love about sport. And everyone has their own level. Are there any ways that actually PE can be made more inclusive? I think all schools should play things like sitting volleyball, which is very inclusive. Schools should get in their funding money to get um, wheelchairs because mm -hmm. everyone can get into, can play wheelchair basketball yeah. or play wheelchair rugby. This is just a piece of equipment, like a bike. The greatest thing I've seen um, in the youth today, you can see they've got the twinkle in their eyes and they really believe, regardless of race, colour, creed, sexuality, that they can do anything they want. What advice do you have for young people who um, need to really push themselves to achieve something? I think the key phrase that people should have in their mind is, don't be afraid to fail. I think the main reason why people don't challenge themselves is because they're worried about the embarrassment of things not going right. And I think there's no such thing as failure. Um, what there is as such thing as is someone who doesn't try. This world is about surprising yourself. When you surprise yourself and you, and you challenge yourself to do something and you do something that you never thought you could achieve, all right, it's the most empowering thing ever. That was Shilpa Belipa from Childline talking to British TV presenter and wheelchair basketball player Adi Adipitan about his experiences and ways to promote sport in young people with disabilities. Examining, accepting and working with our difficulties, whether they are physical or mental, are key to the principle of our metaphor. As our guest Chris Freer mentioned, using positivity when struggling with disabilities, whether they are physical or mental, makes us aware of them and allows us to recognize likely problems in advance to enable us to move forward. Mindfulness creates pathways to thriving by changing our behavior. Richard J. Davidson, a psychologist and neuroscientist, has developed the Four Pillars of a Healthy Mind is a framework to help understand how we can teach our brains to thrive. So we've developed a framework for understanding a healthy mind. And this framework includes four pillars. The first pillar is awareness. And awareness includes the capacity to focus our attention, to resist distraction. It also includes a quality that psychologists and neuroscientists call meta-awareness. Meta-awareness is knowing what our minds are doing. How many of you have ever had the experience of reading a book where you're reading each word on a page and you read one page, you may read a second page, and after a few minutes you have absolutely no idea what you've just read? That is an example of a lapse in meta-awareness. But the moment we recognize that we've been lost and come back, that is a moment of meta-awareness. And we 
have reason to believe that meta-awareness is crucial. Actually, it's necessary, we believe, for real transformation to occur. The second pillar of a healthy mind is connection. Connection refers to those qualities which nurture harmonious interpersonal relationships. Qualities like appreciation, like kindness, like compassion, having a positive outlook. And again, the research shows that it doesn't take much to start activating these latent qualities which can flourish and become stronger. The third pillar of a healthy mind is insight. And insight is about insight into the narrative that we all have about ourselves. At the very extreme end of the continuum, there are people who have a very negative narrative. They have negative self-beliefs, and they hold those beliefs to be a true description of who they are. That is a prescription for depression. And a healthy mind entails changing our relationship to this narrative. Not so much changing the narrative itself, but changing our relationship to it, so that we can look at the narrative and see it for what it is. What is this narrative? It's a constellation of thoughts. And when we can see it as that, we can foster more room, more breathing room, and lead to, and this leads to increased well-being. Finally, the last pillar of a healthy mind is purpose. And here, we're talking about having a sense that our life is headed in a particular direction. And most importantly, it is about taking more and more of the activities in our lives as belonging to this sense of purpose. Can you envision living your life so that taking out the garbage and doing the laundry is still related to your sense of purpose? Being able to broaden it in this way is a very crucial ingredient of a healthy mind. This week's metaphor, Don't Suffer, Thrive, has grown at its core and builds on survival. It crosses every area of society from healthcare to business and is relevant from birth to old age. Focusing and working hard on ourselves improves our mind and body, making us more aware or stronger to avoid or cope with additional suffering and help others. This growing strength helps us survive hardships, gives us confidence to face new challenges, and enables us to move forward with confidence and thrive. Gloria Gaynor tells us about survival in her disco single, I Will Survive, a song which describes the discovery of personal strength following a devastating relationship. Renowned as a symbol of female empowerment, it is also one of the most sung karaoke tracks of all time. In 2000, the song ranked number one in VH1's 100 Greatest Dance Songs and more recently in Time Out's The 50 Best Gay Songs to Celebrate Pride All Year Long of 2022. The lyrical message highlights the importance of confronting our problems, going beyond just surviving the unsettled periods of our lives and conquering them. But then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong. 
to this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. Thank you to our guest, Chris Freer. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something new today. The team would love you to leave a review on Colourful or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is available on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. And please share the show with your friends, okay? If you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, why not email us at info at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. Before I go, I would like to share with you a quote from the famous American poet, writer and civil rights activist, Maya Angelou. My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor and some style. 
Whilst not compulsory, these attributes are certainly brilliant advice and a positive way to live life by escaping our suffering and to thrive. The Metaphorically Speaking team and I wish you a wonderful week, but please join us again for another episode of Metaphorically Speaking next Monday. Until then, I'm Delia Delore. Bye for now and keep safe.